Good morning and welcome into one. My name is Greg, for those of you who don't know me, and the audio on that was not what I was hoping for, so I'm sorry about that. But a very good start to the day for someone who was coming to church and they had no reason themselves to be there. They were there because of relationships. Their kids wanted to be there to sing. Today I have no reason to sin. And the idea was how did you move from that place to where you could sin? So if that's where you are today, sometimes we just assume that everyone's doing great. And for those of us who are doing great, share some of it with somebody else. But for those of you who are having a hard time deciding whether or not there's a reason to be here, hang on. Hang on. Today we're going to talk about good news in, in, a, in a very specific kind of way. We're going to focus on that. But today, if where you are is I don't really have a reason, then let's just be honest about that. And we'll take the fact that you're here and trying as a starting place. And then we'll say, God, come into this place and help us to not just do a routine, not just do a Sunday morning every week kind of thing. We've already asked that God would be amongst us today, that His Spirit would be in this place. Today, after us, there's another gathering that's going to be, another struggle that's going on. And so they asked if they could use, they told me that uh, they would have to set up, and I said, just do your setup now. So it looks a little different today because we're trying to give them the space ready. But I thought, if we know somebody else is coming today, then as we worship, would you take the time to consciously ask that your seat, your table, your space would be blessed by God for whoever is coming next? We've already prayed for you in this way, and I'd love it if you could take the time to pray for the people who are in here next that there would be a sense that this place, this town, is made better because of our presence in it. Because you chose to say, God bless whoever is coming. And so I would love there to be the sense that this is the most important gathering that ever happens in this building because because of us, the whole place is blessed because our God is gracious. So would you take a moment now, whether you really feel it or not, ask, maybe just a sentence, and pray for your area, this spot here, that God would bless it for you today, but for the people who are coming after us. Let's take a moment to do that right now. Hi, Father, thanks for meeting with us today. For those who are ready and in their minds they are prepared to be here, God, I thank you. Speak to them, God. For those of us who come and we're, we're not ready, this week was not going to be able. This month has not gone the way that we would like. There are things that have risen up that, that are distracting and pulling us away from you. We're just too busy with other things. God, I pray that today you would bring your gift of peace. Bring calm to this place. As we are here to hear from you, may we sense your presence through love and through your peace. As we need to be convicted, do that as well, God, not for judgment, but for freedom. That we would find repentance and release, not bondage and shame. Holy Spirit, be in this place today. In Jesus' name. As we get started, I wanted to ask for your participation as well. So we're going to put up uh, a scripture reading for today. 
instead of just having someone read it to you, I thought, wouldn't it be better if we could all read it together? So to mark it is a little bit different. People stand, and we're going to read this in Romans 3. It's a different message, so it's going to feel different. I'll just tell you that up front. It's going to feel a little bit different. Okay, are we ready? One, two, three. So, hi, everybody. My name is Stephanie. Um, I was asked by Khan after you. I was asked to um, tell a testimony. My testimony is actually very, very, very long. What about is in my life in the tonight? So, let me just share a little bit. Um, I was, when I was about two, we moved to Stonewall, I had two other brothers. I had two other brothers who moved to Stonewall. And um, we moved inside a park, oh, sorry, inside a church. So my parents became Christians. We started going to a different church um, in Carmel. Anyhow, we had bad parents in there. So from that church, they stopped, they stopped going all together. <laughs> the only reason that I continued to go to church is because I lived inside one. And then so. So anyways, uh, I started just going to church there, and that's when I became Christian, and I went to God. But when I was there, I it just kind of went with the moves. I just, I didn't really, I just went, listened, liked what I saw, and, but I never thought I'd be good enough. That was the big thing. I wouldn't talk about it. You're not good enough, you're going to be a Christian like you're in there. You're just not good enough. So for years, I continued going to church, and going to church but also living a different life. Friends and um, it wasn't really until God really revealed himself with this guy here. Um, I had long issues with getting pregnant, keeping pregnancies, and I just, I just realized that God cares about me that much that He made it so obvious within a week of people just speaking to me about having a son, well, a child, and um, this is where it comes from. And I just. It was so obvious to me that it was God showing me, God showing me that I'm, I'm worth it. And that's like me being up here right now is crazy because I didn't have boldness at all. If anything, I tried to move through everything. I tried to move anything but the fact that I'm up here speaking now. And um, God has provided for me, provided for me um, a way to work from home and share, share um, the word. Just by every day, people coming into my house to hair. So I'm able to share what God has done in my life. Healing me from anxiety. The fact that I'm up here speaking is crazy because I have an anxiety disorder. Um, this would have made me so anxious that I would have not, I wouldn't have paid today. But I'm healed. I'm healed from it. Uh, anyway, I'm never going to feel anxious. I just really want to separate myself and just really believe the word and believe that God has, God has my back. That's why I basically always say that. God is like, he has control over all of our life. We go through things in life um, that we don't understand why, but he carries through it. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of uh, tragedy in my life and in my friend Dan's life that it's been pretty crazy, but God is taking us through that. And just my biggest, my biggest testimony is that I'm here, like standing here talking. So yeah, I think, I think what, what I've learned too is that we have to really open up our hearts and let God God working and not expect us to do it, because actually it's him working, he's going to do it, he's going to make a way. If you're open to it, and you let God work in you, we'll make a way, but there's no way. That's my, 
That is hearing the good news about Christ. So that's what we're hoping. That's, and hope is not wishing, right? Hope is we have this idea based on something that is trustworthy that today, simply this discussion will help to generate or increase or strengthen your faith. As we hear this gospel message, that's what it's going to do. It knits it together inside us. So if you have an actual hardcover, or not hardcover, hard Bibles, one of these, not a soft Bible, many of us are soft Bible people. All right, so if you've got a hard Bible, you're gonna have to share with the people around you this. Find Genesis chapter one, verse one. It is not the hardest one to find. I will tell you that right up front. You can look on your soft Bible, if you will, but I don't think it's going to do what I would like it to do. You find Genesis 1-1. Now turn back one page. What does it say on that page? Well done. You're doing very well. Now try Matthew chapter 1. This one's harder to find. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the New Testament, the start of the new one. And it tells us that as well. Turn back one page, and you will find that there is a page typically in your Bible that says New Testament. All right, so there you go. That's what we're looking at. So we live in the area of the New Covenant. Jesus has come and he has brought significant change. So now, because there has been significant change, and this one's called new, what do we do with the old covenant? It's filled with a significant number of rules, routines, rituals. There's a whole lot going on in the old covenant that the new covenant doesn't seem to call its followers to. So we throw it out. We just discontinue using it. Certainly not. The New Testament repeatedly displays an incredibly high regard, a high honor for the Old Covenant. What do we do with the Old Covenant, though? This is fundamental in how we see God, how we develop, how we will live, how we will, how we will read our Bible, and how our faith will be shaped from now going forward. It shapes our faith, which is sort of the way we think but it's going to shape our practice, the way that we live our life. And that becomes incredibly important. So when it says Old Testament or New Testament in your Bible, that's put there by the publisher. That wasn't part of the way God said, and now Moses before you start, right? Old Testament, right? That's added in. But it's not an addition as in an unknown thing. The Testaments refer themselves in this way as well. And so they are simply uh, making it easier for you to separate in a book. Because you have to remember that when the New Covenant came, the Old Covenant had existed for a long time. And when the New one came, it was very, very different. But if you look in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 33, you'll hear the Bible talking about itself. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, speaking. He said, the day is coming... He is speaking for the Lord. That is the way prophecy works, or the prophet works in this case. God gives him a message, he deals with the message, and then sends it out. So he's writing this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a what? With the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant. My wife loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. 
But this is the what? New covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The old covenant, Jeremiah is telling us here, has a shelf life. The plan is already in place going forward to develop what's going to happen. The New Testament reflects back and says, yes, this is new. Jesus, he does it. The Last Supper. We read this all the time, and sometimes we just don't hear what he's actually saying. So Luke chapter 22, look at verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Not the new covenant is coming. Jeremiah said that, the new covenant is coming. Jesus said, this is the new covenant. When we say the New Testament words, okay, we say testament, that's what's written in your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Testament is just another word that means the same thing as covenant. So testament equals covenant. And that would be an arrangement, an agreement on how things are going to work out. And it's more personal than a, than a business kind of thing. It's a way of relating. So God gave us the old covenant, the old way of relating, the old way we get together, the old way we deal with relationship between God and man. And now there is a new covenant, a new testament, a new arrangement, a new way of relating. This edit comes through Christ. And it comes and we're informed of it, we're recognizing it as the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, if the new covenant supplements the old, perhaps this is something that you have done over the past. This is the way that you brought me for this. The Old Testament supplemented by the new. We live with one foot in each covenant, straddling this thing. We learn the old first, and then we season it with a little bit of the new. How are things changing? And we have a tendency to read the Bible as flat. What, what I mean by flat is that you would say, this means that every verse on every page is given equal authority. And when you hear that at the beginning, you say, that sounds good, that sounds right, that sounds like the way we should do it. But then listen to Jesus again. At the end of his ministry, Matthew 28, starting at verse 19, this is a famous passage again. We have a special name for this one. If you want to reference things quickly for Christians, we just call this one the Great Commandment. Okay, it shows up in multiple places. In the Gospel, then in the book of Acts, he talks about this. So what he says here, at the end of his ministry, therefore go, and we've heard this, right? You know this part. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I will be always to the end of the age. This would have been the perfect time in encapsulated form for Jesus to make it clear. Teach them everything that Moses commanded. Teach them everything that the Torah, the law, says. Make sure they know it all. Make sure they know everything in the scriptures in general. But that's not what he says. He says, teach the new disciples to obey all the commands I have given. 
Now, he's not saying the other ones are worthless and unimportant, but he's saying what you need to understand is the key here is what I have taught, what I have brought. Now, as you follow the commands of Jesus, he teaches us how to read the Bible. And he puts himself at the center. If we read the Bible flat, then we can say, hey, here's a page. And on that page, here's a verse. And it's in the Bible. And the Bible is the Word of God. So whatever I read from this book, I must follow. That's called a flat reading. It's all people. And again, at the beginning, that sounds like a good idea. Like, what are you trying to get into? Are you trying to get us to deny part of the Bible? Are you trying to get us to reject something here? And it's not that way at all. This has to do with authority in terms of rule, in terms of law. If you see the Old Testament being supplemented by the New, causes you to have to develop theories about why we follow some parts of the Bible and not others. We all know that there's parts of the Old Testament that we don't follow. There's certain rules like dietary rules or sacrificial rules that we just don't follow. Catholics, they have a great solution for this. They have the Pope. And they have the rule of the church, the church authority. They say, this is what you do. And you say, okay, that's what I do. Protestants, we've got a little bit more of a problem. Because we said, no, sola scriptura, only scripture. We don't follow the Pope. We don't follow church law in the same way. But now, what are we going to do? We've got laws that we know that we don't follow. How do we know which ones we do and which ones we don't? And so we started to think, how are we going to do this? We're going to break it down. And so we thought, here's a strategy. There are three categories of laws. There are civil laws. Civil laws are laws that are applied to the physical, geographical, political, nation-state of Israel. They don't apply to us. We are not citizens of the physical, geographical nation of Israel. And there are ceremonial laws. How do you do sacrifices properly? What is clean and unclean? And if you are unclean, how can you be made clean again? We don't participate in those. They don't apply to us either. Then there's ethical laws, moral laws. We need to find those and follow them, which is kind of an interesting reason to say that we need the old covenant. So every time you read, you kind of come go on a mission, kind of go on an adventure to discover what the ethical laws that are somehow hidden throughout the Old Testament. And here's the problem. The old covenant never delineates between those three categories clearly. They're blended together. They're not color-coded, they're not subheaded, they're not asterisks on the sign. There's no list that says this is one and that's the other. They all just come together. So at the end, you're still just trying to be the one who's deciding which rules do I follow and which rules do I do not. Whatever system you come up with, you're still in that place. Rather than the old being supplemented by the new, we're going to say, that Jesus completely ends the old as law. Not deleted, but as law, it's removed. And he completely fulfills it in his life. Yet the old covenant will forever exist as an incredibly important testament and testimony to how God has worked in history so that we can continue to appreciate his heart through it all. Over time, watching how that worked out in so many places. God is still there. It's just not law. And this is how it works. If you take 
the idea, we have a flashlight. You don't really have a great deal of darkness. But over here, let's look. This is a darker area. And if I put my hand up, you can see there's a shadow there, right? All right. So in the book of Colossians, it tells us uh, that God has worked in history so that we can continue to see what he's like. But there's hints of him there. We keep our eyes open for Jesus when we read any part of the Bible. And there's a shadow of Christ that we're always looking for to see the substance. Colossians 2, it says, for, those, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So the law is a shadow. And from that shadow, it would be like a silhouette. It's a silhouette. And from the silhouette, you can identify something, right? The silhouette is clear, and it shows you something. But if you want in greater detail, you want to see what the substance of that shadow actually is, then it would look like this. The substance was always here, and God shines a light as if from the end of time, and it goes through Jesus, and we see the shadow of that in the old covenant. But now that we come to the new covenant, it's not a silhouette anymore. Now it's the substance of those things. The truth is there. God started with Jesus in mind and cast that shadow back. We see it. You can see hints of it in the sacrificial system. You can see hints of it in the, in the Ten Commandments. You can see hints of it throughout that time where you see what Jesus is going to do. So that after you participate in the sacrificial system, after you learn those laws and you start to understand why the laws are there, it begins to make you thirsty. Thirsty for Jesus who is to come. It's not entirely different. The outline is there. The detail, the substance of that comes when Jesus comes. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant displays some display of what God is like, but the detail comes later. So the Old Covenant is not gone. We keep it, but we are no longer bound by any part of it. We don't pick and choose some and not others. It is fulfilled in Christ. So what do we do? Follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you'll fulfill what God wants for you. That was the new supplementary goal. Now, if you read it, what I would say properly, the way the New Testament itself suggests, we say that the new covenant substitutes or supersedes the old. We live out New Testament principles boldly. We read the Bible like it all points to Jesus rather than a flat reading. It crescendos to a point. There is all those prophecies that were coming to this point called Jesus. Jesus is the highlighted point. He is the center. He's the reason that we have the Bible. It teaches us about him. Everything was coming to that point. We read the old and the new through the lens of Jesus Christ, wanting to learn all that we can about Jesus. We learn from the Old Testament as history, learning God's path dealing with Israel in the past. But calling something history doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that it's already happened. We learn from history. I really hope we learn from history. We just had a great example when Stephanie was sharing about her history. This is how God worked in my life in history. It's not invalid because it's history. 
But we need to be careful when you look at the Old Testament that you don't say you should do what Israel did. Because you know what Israel did? They messed up a lot. You know who else messed up a lot? Me. We follow Jesus. We learn from the way that each of us stumbles along this path, but we follow Jesus. So when I say to you, follow me as I follow Christ, what I mean is follow me as I am trying to follow Christ. When I mess up and I need to repent, do that. And the same message I would say to you, you are called to the same ministry, then you should say to people around you, follow me as I follow Christ. That means as I try to figure it out, as I try to learn how this thing works, as I try to repent and become clean again, come with me on this. That's why we say that we're on a road trip together. We're going together in pursuit of Jesus. That's where we're going. That's how it works out. We preach the new. We learn from the old. But we follow Jesus. That was the point. This is how Jesus calls us to relate to the new and to the old. If you don't catch this, then you're going to be burdened by pretty much the whole book of Galatians. Lots of the book of Romans, lots of the book of Hebrews are written to try and make this flesh out so that we get it and we don't get trapped backwards. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, 13. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one what? It's now out of date and will soon disappear. People, wait, what? Was that just the Bible saying that parts of it are obsolete? Is that one of those places that we need to accidentally remove so that when an atheist comes around, they can't say, look, if it says it's obsolete, why do you bother listening to it? It is obsolete as law. We are no longer under it. It's absolute, obsolete as the way that we relate back and forth to God. It is the old covenant. It's the old way of doing things. It's not obsolete as in it's not worth it. It's no good. It's spoiled. The writers have a great respect for the old covenant. Paul and the writer of Hebrews, all the New Testament writers, Jesus himself, they refer constantly back to it. It's not diminishing the Old Testament. It is now saying we are no longer under it as law. It is not our current covenant. It's not the current way that we interact with God. And he says that it will soon disappear. At the time that he rose, they were still making sacrifices at the temple. But within a generation, 70 AD, the temple is completely destroyed by the Romans and the sacrificial system officially stopped. And at that time, it was a great tragedy. What are we going to do? But for those who understood, they saw that it wasn't as big a deal as I thought. Because the system had already been replaced. That old covenant had already gone and to remove the distraction. Last week, remember, we talked about why the temple was never God's first plan. We talked about how kings weren't his first plan, how the sacrificial system weren't his first plan. He was saying, we're always going to get distracted by these things. Old covenant, let's start the new and let's remove the distractions that are there. He is trying to help us step completely into the new. Now we say old. This is English. English is a great language for having multiple meanings for the same word. And you have to understand how the word is being used. We use the word in English in at least two different ways. 
There's all that adds in aging. But we don't say because something is aging that it's no good. In fact, there are many things that we say aging gives a conditional value, right? We call it retro. We call it antique. And there's something about it that keeps its value, that makes it special from just new. I'm getting old, as my eyesight tells me, as my hair color tells me. I'm getting old, but I'm still here. I'm marginally functional. Just because I'm old doesn't make me obsolete. My first pastoring job was in Belgium. And if I was to go back there, they would say, oh, that's great. He's our old pastor. When they say old pastor, they weren't saying I'm aging. They were saying I'm a former. So I would say in Belleville, if I went there, I am their old pastor. And yet when I come to into one, I am your old pastor. <laughs> and the words mean different things. In Belleville, I'm the former one, and here I'm just getting older. And that's the way so many people want to read the Old Testament. The usage of the word matters so much because we would read them and say, the Old Testament is not old, it's just the Old-er Testament. And when we have the new one, it's not the new one as much as it is the New Testament. And we still have it, and they're still together, right? They're still active, and uh, what God was doing is an older covenant, and this is just a newer one. We've got to honor it as it's active and present. But the writer of Hebrews says, Paul says that if it's old, it's not applicable to our lives as law anymore. It's not the current arrangement of how God works. And that's what covenant means, right? How God works, the style of the lady. The old covenant was an outside-in covenant. Here's your directions, what the things do. The new covenant is an inside-out covenant, where the laws are no longer written on stone, they are written written on the tablets of our heart. These are changes that are hard to get our mind around. But Jeremiah was telling us even this in the Old Testament. The old one is outside in, the new one will be inside out. The old idea was you've got a problem, more rules. Paul says that more rules actually inflames our temptation to want to break the rules. The old covenant kind of creates an exoskeleton to minimize the damage that we do to each other. But the new covenant brings a completely new heart change. Jesus is Lord. He leads us into a new way of being. The old covenant written in stone on paper and ink. After it was written in stone, they wrote down on paper and ink. The new covenant was not about a covenant that was written with better paper and better ink. It was a new covenant that was written on the human heart. And the difficulty for us is that in the New Testament, those people, they got that. Because the old one is the one that you pick up and read. The new one is the one that is growing within you. Yeah, it becomes complicated because when you lift up your Bible, you go, this is the Bible, this is the old and the new. They're all one, they're all the same. They all look about the same. We don't sense that same difference. But the old covenant was embodied within the scripture. The covenant was embodied, the new covenant was embodied within the, the body of Christ by the Spirit. It was first embodied by Jesus. The old covenant, God came down and chiseled into stone what the law was. The new covenant, God came down and chiseled it into 
Christ. He revealed it to Jesus. It became visible to us in Jesus. We have this idea. The book of John tells us this. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it continues to begin flesh by the body of Christ. So the first century Christians saw these covenants as fundamentally different, experientially different. How do we do this? It's all new. We live out what the Spirit teaches us. The challenge for us comes as we get it all at once. Right? The book looks all the same. But this living it out part was there from the beginning, and that's why the Apostle Paul could say things like this to the church in Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Doesn't that language sound somewhat familiar? It's not about what was written down, it's about what was written in, written on. This is the new covenant. We listen to the Spirit. We discern what the Spirit is saying together in community. Then we go and we live that out. We just live into our lives so that other people can see. But Scripture is never our endpoint destination. Our endpoint destination is always Jesus. Scripture allows the church of old to continue to be part of our discussions today. Scripture is not our Lord. Jesus is Lord, and we seek to embody His truth. We seek to take what we can from here and learn God's own written word. It's supposed to be lived. The point of the reading was that it would go inside and we might live it out. Romans 1.17, this good news, the gospel, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. We're contrasting now with what was before to what is coming. In the Old Covenant, the law of God was revealed, so you need to work through those things, those commandments, those, those um, laws that were there. You have to work through those in order to maintain a good relationship with God. That's why they were there. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You receive this through faith. In Romans 3, Paul has been talking about how sinful we are. Jew and Gentile, all of us, we're all sinful. He points out the dilemma, the problem that we have, that the Jews have the Torah. They have the law of God, the written by God himself law. And sometimes it happened. Sometimes it didn't. In some sense, he said that the Jews were just as messed up as any Gentile nation. They would continually go astray. So a lot of good bad law if you can just keep ignoring it. How do we explain that? They have the law of God, and yet it didn't always make them righteous. Romans 3, starting at verse 19. Obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Oh, Paul's just dropped a big bomb there. Think, if I can do this, then I'll be made righteous. You go, no, that was not it. You can't be made righteous by that. That's just what you have to do. And you can't do it. Without the Spirit, the law does not give you the cure. 
it actually is pointing in the desire to break the law. Look at Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 5. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law. For we died to it. We are no longer captive to its powers. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Sounds pretty clear. When you just stare into the law, it gives you a bigger picture of the problem. But it doesn't move you towards a solution. The same is true for you. When you stare at your sin, this is what I've done wrong, this is what I struggle with, this is what I've got to stop, I really got to stop doing that, I really shouldn't do this, I really did that, it was bad. What you will find is that your mind is continually on your sin. And you will think a lot about your sin. It doesn't help you stop it, it just makes you more aware of it. And in fact, it makes you feel like it's all around all the time. You don't need the laws now, that's what you need. Jesus. The Holy Spirit that Jesus brings helps you to overcome those things. Go back to Romans 3. The old covenant makes you conscious of sin. It shows you how sinful you are. That old covenant is not providing a solution. It is just providing awareness of our desperate state. But now. This is where we stop. This is our big but. That was the problem. That was the past. But now, something is coming. That was then, that was the before, I've got the after on the, on the horizon, but now. But now, God has shown us the way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, the prophets, the law, the Old Testament are still incredibly important. They continue to point to Jesus and our need for Jesus. We keep the old covenant because it testifies to the new. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God freely, graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. The word for sin here is harmartia. Harmartia, do you remember that? We talked about this before. You remember what harmartia means? Miss the mark. Sin has sort of that, that sound that has an awful lot of our society left in it. You're sinful. Well, what does sinful actually mean? It means that there's a mark and we're missing it. So as we go and we live, Shoot for the target. Oh, my <laughs> Shoot for the center. Well done. Try again. Oh, very, close. very close. Well done, sir. And that's what happens. Some days we get really, really close. Some days you might actually hit the mark. But the point is consistently we can't do it. We might hit it for a moment. Sometimes we get close to it. 
sometimes we're near it, but we can't stand it. We can't stick at it. And this is what the problem has been, generation after generation. Just look at the world that we have, you see. Have we done with this place? We keep missing the bullseye. We all sin, some more than others. But when the standard is hitting the bullseye every single time, it doesn't matter if you are a little bit closer one or two times. It makes no difference. You can always compare with someone who is worse than you and say, I'm a little bit better. But when we are all missing the standard, the standard is Christ, we are not close enough. Religion says, we are going to offer you classes in archery, bro. So I just want to show you, first of all, how you do this. If we move a little bit closer, yeah, try it from up here now. See how you do it. This is what our religion will do. Try and help you a little bit. Yeah, good. Try again. We're going to meet together on Sunday mornings, and we're going to talk about how to become a better archer. You're going to learn more archery skills. Yeah, good for you. Well done. But you know what the fact is? He still didn't do it. And because of religion, what we've told him now is, you have to hold the weight of that. You didn't do it. You didn't do it every time. And as much as we get together to encourage you to be a better archer, to teach you about archery, to teach you the history of archery, the beauty of the bow, to teach you how to make your own bow, the more we study those things, they can help us. If the point was, all I needed to do was to get closer. If all I needed to do was approach the mark, then rules and consequences can help me a bit. But the problem is that they can't move me to where I need to go. So imagine swimmers, okay? Imagine swimmers. We're all in the water. And we say, I'm going to swim part of this. And we're trying to get as far as we can. So we get in the pool and we start training. And let's just say this group. Okay, let's say we represent the whole world. Some of us here are going to be people who can swim well. And we're going to get out and we're going to start swimming hard. And there's some of us that are not so good. And after a little bit of time, we just say, I'm done. I'm out. And then we watch and some people keep swimming. Whoa! Is he ever going to stop? And then another one drops out. And someone else keeps going and they keep going and they keep swimming. And we say, that person is so good. It's like a saint in the water. And we say, let's try this no longer in a pool. Let's try this in an ocean. And we say, how far can you swim? And we start. But imagine the problem is that we, we don't swim as far as we can. We swim to where we need to be. Right? There's a difference. As good as I can be, this is as far as I go. But what if it's as good as I need to be? So what if the swim is now from Halifax to England? And we all start together. And we start swimming. And here we are, because someone's going to drop out. They can't swim that far. They can't make it. And then someone's going to keep going a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And when we're zoomed in, we're going to say, that guy is amazing. She is the best I've ever seen. She must be a saint. That kind of connection that she's got, she's going to swim. Let me take a moment. And you zoom back out. You take a Google Earth, and you don't look at how far they've come. You look at how far the trip is. And it doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. Every one of us is going to stop before we get to Haven. And we will all be in the same spot. Because in the ocean, 
There's nothing. Once you start swimming, there's not really a bottom that you can touch anymore. And the problem is that no matter how good of a swimmer you are, you're still all going to end up in the same place, and that place is called ground. You will all die swimming, and you won't get there. And what we need, and this is what the new covenant is, Jesus comes up to us and he says, done. He takes us out of the ocean and he brings us to England. Done. He puts us in this place and it stays. It doesn't drop anymore. It's not only not a shot that can't hit the mark every time. It's not only a shot that does hit the mark and then falls away. It's a shot that stays. The standard has been met. Righteousness has been given to us and it was a gift. But you get it. You don't have to have the comment that says, well, Jesus did it. You go, yes, Jesus did it for you. But you are the full recipient. You are the one who owns that. We all are imperfect. And we all are in that place where we try to swim, and we try to swim, and we try to swim. We try to follow those rules. We try to follow some more rules. And we find we just can't do it. And we come finally on our knees to Jesus, and we say, I can't do it. And he says, I know. I know you can't. I've just been waiting for you to figure it out. Come with me. Now that you know, let's just hang out. Let's spend time together. Let's be together because that was all for you. To learn that you just need me to help. And I was planning on helping you the whole time. I always had it ready as soon as you would see that you would need my help. Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. He goes, yes. I'm there. And you're at the mark. And this mark doesn't change anymore. What we do between now and heaven is a matter of saying, I missed the mark again. Jesus restored me. I asked for forgiveness. And the forgiveness takes us right back to this place. Forgiven. Justified. Last week we talked justification. Reconciled to God. It's paid. We are back on good terms. If you are a person who's already said yes to Jesus, I pray that this, sometime this week, you'll be able to stop. Try to do it for a minute. Let's not set the standard too high. A minute, once a day, to reflect back on what God has done for you. You were not able to get anywhere close to where you needed to get to when he says, I am, and I love you, and I was just waiting. Reflect on the gift that you have been given and allow it to cause faith to come within you. My God is faithful. My God provides. My God loves me. My God wants someone else to know his truth. I've been given hope. How can I not share my hope? If you're not a Christian, you haven't said yes to Jesus, or if your yes was a while ago and since then, who knows? Take time this week. How about a minute? A minute a day to try and focus on just this message of Jesus that has nothing to do with religion. Those words blended together. We can't stop that. We can try to tell people the truth. Jesus is not about religion. 
He's not about earning your way to God and figure out how to do it better. His way is to just bring you to, to God and then let you grow in what that relationship looks like. If you are not in that place, you've got questions about that, just consider what he has done, how this works, and how that's so different than the system that we're so often portrayed. Let faith start to bubble up in you. It's not recognizable. You don't often know what it is that starts. But let it come up. It'll start small. But if you feel that small inkling, then take a step to investigate. You don't have to throw out your brain. We appreciate it if you don't. Even the Christians have. Come with your whole self. Pursue him honestly. Let it come. Because you know what? I believe that we cannot make you do anything. And it doesn't matter if you do, because you would just walk away later on. But I believe in a God who loves you. And his Holy Spirit that is there to call you to himself. Not to gain you, to urge you. Come on. I know that this is true. And when you get one of those places, oh, just see where it takes you. See if it leads you to something that looks more like Jesus. Full of grace and truth. Love, patience, kindness, gentleness. Self-control, long-suffering, these are the marks of the Spirit. And as you pursue, these marks start to rise in you. They don't arrive full force and never leave. They start to come up. See if you can find that this week. See if you can see the spot that is moving you and convicting you towards truth. Kind Father, thank you for the gift that you've given Good news! Good news, I know I'm not good enough. Good news, I tried so hard. Good news, you love me. As I am. And you were waiting to welcome me. You were waiting to greet me again and say, I can take you where you need to go. Just come with me. God, thank you grace that you have shown to us throughout our lives, throughout before we were alive, maybe even today. Speak to us to pray. Sometimes we're a little bit afraid of you and what you want. But you are gentle. And you are humble. May your face start to bubble us. May it increase in you as we understand who you are and what you have promised me. Jesus, you are happy following me. Rooted and established in love, they have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seen. Thanks for being with us together today. I don't know when you're here, it's better when we're together. I believe that uh, the more we connect, the better it's going to get. 
And that's why I want to encourage you today, if you haven't thought about it, if you're not planning yet,